This is Campus Voices. Issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. A public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU. Good morning. Welcome to Campus Voices. I'm Rick Alloway, and as always, we thank you for your time this Sunday morning. Our guest this morning on Campus Voices is Sherry R. Vale, who is the brand new dean for the College of Journalism and Mass Communications here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I say brand new because she just officially started on the job back on July 1st, though I know, Sherry, from talking to you, you were on the ground working on uh, getting ready for this new gig even before you officially took over on July 1. But welcome. We're glad you're here. Thank you, Rick. I'm glad to be here. You are a native Midwesterner, correct? Correct. I'm originally from small town of Gackle, North Dakota. So this uh, cool and rainy weather that we've been experiencing this week is nothing new to you. It's just like coming home. <laughs> well, we're glad that you did. Tell us a little bit about your um, earliest recollections of what got you interested in mass communications. I know you were a working professional for a decade before moving into academics. What was the first thing that got you thinking, "Ooh, I want to go do this? I actually decided to go into public relations at the ripe old age of 12. So I had uh, had an assignment in one of my classes to write a paper about whatever my dream career was going to be. So we had to research all these different careers out there. And at the time, I had just uh, made state for the third time um, uh, or third event uh, for qualifying for state in speech and forensics. So. I thought I, I fit very well in that area of communication, being able to get a point across and being able to do it persuasively and uh, honestly. So I looked into public relations as a career and never really looked back. So you, you did work in the industry for eight years, correct? That's correct. Okay. I started off um, when I was in college. So I started my freshman year as a work study uh, in the public affairs office at the university. And then on the side, I worked for a senator's campaign and then eventually moved into working full time first in um, banking and mortgage lending and then moving into marketing and public relations and advertising. I'm moving through working in athletics for a while. So I worked for a hockey team. I've worked for a hospital uh, and then went back to working in real estate for a number of years and specifically in the area of advertising and public relations. Great broad-based experience across a number of different sectors, which must give you a really good broad-based view of the public relations area. What was it that led you to look at academics then after nearly 10 years as a working professional? So I had uh, decided to get my MBA uh, because I had no intentions of going into academia. And I saw a master's originally in communications or in that field as moving into the academic route. So I got my MBA and then as long as I had my master's, I could teach and I thought that would be fun. So I started teaching and then as long as I was teaching, I could take a class or two for free. So I was a, a strange breed in that I started my PhD as more of a hobby than an intention. And I specifically recall going to my advisor and saying, you know, so interesting, I leave the office and I'm just exhausted. And I leave the classroom and I've got so much energy and I'm so excited for things. And my advisor said, you know, some careers are life-giving and some are life-taking. Which one do you want? 
And I doubled up on my classes, uh, finished my PhD, and officially made the move into academia. That was a great quote from your advisor. It reminds me of the, uh, the, the, the uh, message on the tombstone that says, nobody ever said, gee, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. But coming out of a classroom, very invigorating, absolutely. Changed my life. There you go. Uh, mine as well. I had no intentions of teaching either, and, and, uh, but it just drew me to it. So you moved down to Oklahoma for a number of years uh, and uh, did a variety of things in, uh, at the university there, correct? Yes. Uh, I was hired uh, to teach advertising and public relations split. Uh, they have two separate programs there, and I was teaching uh, one leg in each. And then I also started working for the Center for Risk and Crisis Management. I established that. Uh, with uh, Dan O'Hare, who is over in the Department of Communication. So we became partners on that center. And then when he left, uh, I took over in overseeing the Center for Risk and Crisis Management. And primarily our focus was on looking at weather risks. We worked with emergency managers and community managers on preparing the environment for potential weather risks. Certainly, uh, Oklahoma and weather risks kind of go hand in hand there. They're right in the middle of Tornado Alley, and uh, so obviously there'd be a lot, of, a lot of business there. Were you at Oklahoma at the time the Murrow Federal Building came down? I was not. Uh, that was before my time, but okay. that building, okay. um, the memorial actually that was built uh, on that location kind of became a, a central player for us in that I would take my students, I taught uh, risk and crisis communication, and we would always end the semester talking about crisis renewal and rebuilding. And we would go to the memorial and we would go through the process of building and establishing that memorial and how they engage the community in that process. So um, that memorial became a big part of my class. Very nice. Uh, that's, uh, we have a couple of people on our faculty who were uh, actively involved in covering that event when it happened. And uh, it was something I was following when I was doing my own graduate work. So uh, what is it that attracts you to crisis management, whether it's weather or other kinds of, of situations? You know, I think it's just fascinating to me that you can have a situation that is so horrendous and out of it comes so many wonderful things. I mean, just the, the human spirit is tested and being able to see that recovery process and being able to prepare people ahead of time to save lives. I mean, you are looking at the basic elements of survival in many cases and not just physical survival beforehand, but then also emotional well-being after the crisis has occurred. So I think that whole cycle that occurs in such short succession around a crisis is really fascinating. So jumping ahead a bit to right now, one could say that we're in the middle of a crisis of uh, unknown uh, parameters with the COVID-19 situation. It has affected every sector of the economy and every sector of human life including ours in the educational delivery system. And I was just thinking about this the other day about the kinds of changes that we have been forced to make, which may in reality prove to have been changes we probably would not have brought on ourselves had we not needed to, that might have lots of positive uh, outcomes later on. How do you feel about that? Uh, absolutely. That's, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy looking at crisis. It is a shock to the system and good things can come out of crisis. It's not always... It doesn't mean the end. It means renewal. It's rebirth. It's looking at things in a new way. It's recognizing new opportunities and it's getting rid of 
old habits that led to crises in the first place. So I've been looking back as to what we've done here on campus, the amount of time and effort we put into preparing Anderson Hall and preparing our classrooms, preparing the environment. So whether it's online, on campus, a hybrid of both, that took a ton of work and planning, but students came in knowing what to expect, they felt more confidence in us and what we were preparing to deliver for deliver with them and now you know we look at what our opportunities are moving forward we have 22 faculty across the college that have gone through training on how to be a better uh, teacher online think of what we could do in expanding some of our online programs to reach individuals across the state across the nation who aren't able to come to lincoln at two o'clock in the afternoon to take a class we can find ways to meet them where they are. That's a really important point, given the fact that the, the Midwest and the upper Midwest in particular uh, have faced kind of a, a challenge in terms of future freshmen, given the number of um, towns that have, you know, their, their educational systems have merged with others and students are looking to go somewhere else, that online really does afford us an opportunity to reach people from all over the planet without them physically having to be in Lincoln. And I think that that could be a real plus for us. And it's not just incoming freshmen. There's over right. 300,000 Nebraskans with some college education, but no degree. We can provide them the opportunity to be a Husker, to bring them into the university environment and just doing it online doesn't lessen the quality of that education. It expands that opportunity. So most recently you, uh, you came to us from the University of Kentucky. And uh, were you doing similar things there for what you were doing at Oklahoma? Uh, that's what I was recruited to do. So I was recruited to the University of Kentucky to start a risk sciences division. So in many ways to duplicate what I had done at Oklahoma as far as establishing a research center. Primarily we worked on grants and projects from Department of Homeland Security to the Environmental Protection Agency, and then also established graduate coursework in risk and crisis management. So we launched a graduate certificate uh, that could be online or on campus in risk sciences. And I was there for a number of years uh, working on that project or working on that center and then eventually got pulled in a little bit to assist with some challenges we were having with advising in the department. And a year later, I was asked to serve as associate dean for the college, overseeing all of our undergraduate affairs. So advising, recruiting, everything along that line. And then uh, three, years, uh, three years ago, I also was asked to take on the department chair role and oversee faculty and staff within the Department of Communication. So, Little by little, I was just sucked away from what I was originally hired to do in the first place. But I gained a lot of experience and met a lot of wonderful people along the way. So how would the you of your professional experience look at the you, or what, from your professional years, uh, non-academic, look at the you of today and say, wait, what? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny how your career evolves. It's uh, I even think back to working in advertising public relations. What I loved so much was working on the creative end. So designing ads, putting together public relations campaigns, bringing community, community members together. So all of that active engagement was really fun. And then, you know, more and more you move up the career ladder and you end up spending a lot of time on budget and management and strategic planning. And like, all right, well, it's okay. That's part of that process. It's part of what I'm good at, but it wasn't the fun stuff. 
And then I moved into these other academic roles, undergraduate affairs department chair, where it's a lot of that management focus, community building. But I didn't get to do all that fun stuff where I see the dean position now as a little bit of both. I mean, you can be creative, you are engaging community members, you're bringing people together. We are absolutely focusing on strategic planning, but we are growing and building something here together. And it's just, it's really been a lot of fun so far. So after the the number of years you were at uh, Kentucky, what was it about this job at Nebraska that caught your eye? Truly, it was the on hands-on experience focus of this program. That's what attracted me, uh, kind of the idea of do from day one. Uh, I will say it was very frustrating for me in different uh, programs that I've been in where uh, they wanted you to sit in a couple big seminars for a couple years in a row and learn about the theory and everything behind it before they're ever going to let you touch a camera. How do you know if it's something that you really want to do if you can't experience it? And again, just that active learning of testing it out and trying it. Absolutely, theory is important, but you need to understand why it's important. And you aren't going to be able to do that unless you have the chance to really put your hands on the equipment, have that experience, see what it's like to work with a client. It's very, very different from the PR advertising side to imagine a campaign about this imaginary product versus this is what the client wants. These are their expectations. How are you going to meet them? That's a very different environment. And the more we can provide our students with that type of environment, the better prepared they're going to be for walking out that door and getting that job. A major metric of most universities is retention. And I have to think that this college's focus on getting you into making stuff and doing things, the reason why you came here in the first place, has got to have a positive effect on our retention. Absolutely. And actually, the research has shown the more you engage students early in their academic career in community development, in hands-on learning, the more likely they are to be involved later in their career. So if we get them out there working with community organizations now, when they're 20 years into their career, they're more likely to be involved in community organizations then. So it's not just retention here in our college, here at the university, but it's making them a better citizen, a better well-rounded individual. And that's what we should be striving to do. It certainly has made a big difference in terms of the undergraduate placement and internships when we send our students out. Uh, Sometimes people think Nebraska, and I have to look up the map to see where that is. But then they realize how well-trained a lot of our students are at an early age that they can go toe-to-toe with working professionals in internships and part-time jobs. And that over the years has made our college highly competitive, even against major programs on the East and West Coast. So I think you're right on that point. I think that the work ethic that comes out of the Midwestern values, even what we stand for here at Nebraska in our grit, our glory, that's something we have in spades. And it's something we should be leaning into when we're out finding our place in the world. Yeah, I agree. I've told our students over the years, look, the only thing, the only advantage somebody from the East or West Coast may have on a job there is geography. They don't have to travel as far to go for an internship appointment. But in these days of virtual appointments, that's all out the window anyway, that the geography is moot from that standpoint. Uh, so you moved into this campus right at the height of the, uh, the COVID-19 situation, to circle back to that for a bit. Um, How did you feel making this transition, knowing, wow, this is a really strange time to be working anywhere, much less changing jobs? 
You know, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, at the same time, if I thought this was an easy job, I probably wouldn't be very interested in it in the first place. It's just not who I am as a person. I, I see challenges as opportunities, as ways to bring people together. It's not a barrier. It's simply another hurdle to climb over. So um, I said it was a little daunting coming in in the middle of the pandemic, especially because we moved right at the height of everything. But I've seen the best out of our faculty and our staff. I, most faculty aren't too keen on meeting all summer long. And we met every other week by request of the faculty in order to make sure that we had everything set and planned and prepared for our students. And to me, that just shows the kind of people that we have in this college, how much they care about the students, how much they want the experience to be as good as it possibly can be, whether it's online, on campus, in a pandemic, or a regular semester, if there's ever such a thing. Uh, it really just has been an enjoyable experience. Some people wonder if there will be a regular semester uh, again, based on all the changes that have, that have happened. And as you noted earlier, some of those changes might be permanent in a good way, that it has caused a lot of us who were uh, perhaps a little hesitant to try new teaching technologies and new techniques um, to force us into that. And I think them talking to my colleagues, the, everybody's like, wow, this is very cool that I actually, I know how to do this now because I know that keeping track and keeping up with our undergraduates' abilities in technology, they come in already knowing so many things about the which button to push here and which filter to apply to this. But what they need to learn is the background in writing and storytelling and ethics and, and all the things that, that we can provide along with it. So it's really become, an, I, th I think anyway, a fascinating symbiotic relationship that, that we all learn from each other. And I think that's a wonderful environment to be in. Absolutely. And how much we engage our alumni in the process as well is fantastic. That's been one of, one of the uh, most fun aspects of taking on this role has been getting to know the alumni. I did Thursday evenings for several months of drinks with the dean, pick a city and I bring alumni in. And I heard some incredible stories over the last few months about our alumni, about our old faculty and other uh, alumni. But I also heard great stories of them coming back to the classroom, coming in as guest speakers, teaching pop-up classes for us. The, that connection from the alumni to the students and with the faculty is really, really important. I'm glad you did those early on in your career, not only just because it gave you an opportunity to uh, meet a lot of our alums and meet a lot of the professionals who are tied into the program, but it did give you a flavor really quickly about the, the feelings that people have for this college. And I'm sure we're not unique in that, but it is interesting when you have people who come back 20 or 30 years later and want to know if the person who was the front desk greeter still works here because, uh, or their mm -hmm. academic advisor, because those folks have such long uh, bonding memories of the people on the faculty and the staff that made this a great experience for them. So that was a good opportunity for you to hear some of those stories right up front. Absolutely. And our next step on it is to actually engage alumni more with each other. So we're going to be starting here in the next couple weeks, a program where we're doing like class reunions. So that's one of the, the great opportunities with everyone being on Zoom, we can't bring them across the country to come together for a class reunion, but we can bring them around a computer and you can have a, a glass of wine there with us and we'll have a conversation and get to see each other again and find out what folks have been up to. So 
we'll do it by decades uh, at the beginning. And then as we get closer to current time, we'll have to break it down by five years or three years because we had so many more graduates uh, as time went on. But I'm really excited to see them connect with each other in this next go around. Absolutely. Yeah, the virtual world does create all kinds of opportunities for people who, as you said earlier about students, it's true of alums as well. They can't come back to the campus the way they'd like to, but they can still connect and still feel part of it and and still uh, hopefully even feel like they can make some even financial contributions down the road when they can see firsthand and talk firsthand with the people who are working here. Um, What are some of the challenges you think that colleges of journalism and perhaps our own face in the next few years? Well, we're looking at changing environments, changing technology, uh, changing expectations of media, (laughs) changing understandings of what media really is today, what they are, (laughs) as far as um, what does it mean to be an audio right? We used to say radio, which radio would be a frequency. Well, now so much of our actual journalism that is audio Uh, presented in audio as podcasts and you download it on your phone, right? So there are different ways of looking at it. Whoever out there said that journalism was dead, they clearly didn't know what they were talking about because journalism is very much alive. It has just moved into different areas. And really some of our hard hitting journalism today is being done by nonprofit organizations. It's not always done by your standard newspapers anymore as their budgets are decreasing and the amount that they can actually cover changes. We also have organizations without those strong journalistic ties and ethical bases that we teach in this college. I'm going ahead with stories that may or may not have a solid foundation and being able to discern the difference between what is good journalism and what is hype stories that are shared and reshared um, can be challenging for folks today. So media literacy is going to be a huge, huge area for all journalism colleges across the country that we are going to have to step up. We are going to have to make sure that we are checking our own industry and that we are pointing out when journalism is not good journalism or when stories are not good journalism, we need to call that out and make sure that we are keeping our industry in check because it is our reputation on the line. Right. And that, that constant need to check our own biases and our own privilege in these sorts of issues is really important because I think of a lot of times working journalists and media professionals of all stripes get so embroiled in the product, the content they're trying to generate that they don't realize they may have even inadvertently become part of a bubble themselves and that they need to go back and check that. And it's, it's not always easy. It's not always painless, but it's, it's critical to our credibility. Absolutely. I like, I like your media literacy point because I think that's an area that um, it's one of the areas in which a college of journalism can expand into core curriculum at, at a major university, because it's not, as you say, not something we just teach to our own majors, but everybody needs to be aware of, What's, what's legitimate? How do you tell, how do you suss out a good story from one that looks like a good story, but there's just something not quite right about it? Um, the whole proliferation of social media. Uh, I think it's, it's, to me, it's one of those that ought to be a gen ed course across the entire campus. I agree completely. So I, I'm hopeful that that will be moving forward with our curriculum committee. How do we deal with fake news then? Because that's certainly a, a call that um, politicians at all levels throw out. And I know it eats at some of our alums who are dedicated working journalism professionals. 
Um, what advice do you have for folks like that listening today to, uh, to say, uh, how, do we, how do we combat that? You know, I think the, the key is that we are calling it out when it is fake news. But there's a difference between fake news and what's pushed out on social media and real true journalism. And we need to make sure that we are promoting good journalism and not simply passing on stories. We can go through and condemn it all day, but if we cite that story and promote that story in our legitimate news, we're adding to the problem. So it's making sure that we are very clear on what is news and what is not, what is fact and what is not, and make sure that we continue to fact check those sources as they come out. Make sure that we are focusing on media literacy, not just in our education here, but what are we doing in the community? I mean, one of the, the great things about social media is that it allows you to tailor the information that you're getting to you. One of the awful things about social media is that it allows you to tailor the information you are getting to you. So you see what you want to see based on your values and beliefs and your ideas. So then it is set up in order to continue to tailor messages to you, even if they aren't true. And I think that's one of our biggest challenges is making sure that we are pushing back on that. And I think a big part of that too is partnering with our social media companies to make sure that they are our partners in following good journalistic processes. That, your, your comment there was so similar to one I used to throw out uh, when I'd meet with groups about, well, what, what do you think about the internet? And I'd say, well, the good news and the bad news about the internet are contained in the same sentence, which is everybody can be a content producer. You know, that's good news, but it's also bad news because you have no idea what somebody's background is or what their motive is or anything along that line. Um, and it also creates that echo chamber where we hear back exactly what we put out rather than information that may be against our thought process, but how are we going to learn and become better people if we aren't hearing things that are beyond our thought process, that are beyond our ideas of how the world should work? We're, we should be learning from each other, and it's perfectly okay to hear information you disagree with. Oh, it's critical. How else, do you, how else can you really find out what you truly believe if you don't challenge those beliefs and in in, in what you see? You had mentioned that... Um, you talked about reaching out to the social media companies, and I know you're also very interested in reaching out to our partner industries that we deal with here in Nebraska and trying to become, trying to develop better partnerships with, with some of those organizations as well to see what their needs are, what they expect of us, what we should expect of them to make each other better. I, tell, tell us a little bit about what, what your goals are there. Sure. So I've been meeting with uh, different organizations throughout Nebraska, just getting to know what their needs are, how we can maybe better assist them. So whether it's something from running with our uh, Nebraska News Service, making sure that we're preparing stories that get out to local newspapers, uh, local news organizations here in Nebraska, or whether it's working more closely with agencies that are here in town or in Omaha or across the state, or even our partners. That's one of the great things with our alumni network being so big. It's recognizing that we have partners all over the country and making sure that we are continuing to develop those relationships that provide great opportunities for our students to be able to go into the market, making sure that we know that we are preparing students in a way that benefits uh, those organizations as well. So as we move into this uh, strategic planning process, we will have uh, each task force, if I remember correctly, has two to three alumni or community partners 
on those task forces. So the same number of faculty that we have on each one. So it is definitely a partnership in making sure that we are preparing this college to meet the needs of our industry. And those partnerships help those media organizations chart these uncharted waters as well in terms of COVID and post-pandemic as they're trying to figure out they already had challenges about reaching out to new audiences and reinventing themselves because of the online environment. So if we can be of help with that because of the expertise that many of our faculty have in those areas, that seems like a logical extension to go out and do that. To wrap it up here at the end, when you, you mentioned the strategic planning process, which we're just starting, in your heart of hearts, when you look down the road five years, what would you like to see this college doing and, and, and the kinds of initiatives we'd be involved in? You know, we've talked about these different initiatives quite a bit as a college, just on ways that we can reach out to a broader Nebraskan community. Uh, what we talked about earlier, as far as online programs, looking at a potential online degree completion program uh, for individuals with some college education, but no degree. Uh, looking at areas of growth uh, across our industry, so understanding data science for strategic communication as well as data science for journalism. How do you visualize that data? How do you make sure that it, you are providing the information with clarity uh, is another key area. Looking at the growth in sports, uh, we've definitely shown at the undergraduate level that there is very much uh, pent-up demand uh, for that area, uh, there's also opportunities at the graduate level. So a graduate certificate potentially in sports promotion. We have faculty who are very engaged in research and I would love to be able to complement that with a PhD program down the road. So thinking of ways that we can really cement ourselves on this campus and be a strong partner in research. All areas of research across campus need communication. They need good storytelling, they need good presentation of data so that people can understand it and use all this wonderful research that we are producing here at the university. And I think that we can be a key partner across the entire university system. We were talking earlier about my personal experience of working for a hockey uh, team, working in banking, working in real estate, working for a hospital, all of those sectors require good communication skills. And that's what we provide with our students. That's what we have in our faculty and staff here. So I look at us as being a central player across campus. If I'm looking where we're going to be five years from now, yes, all of those programs, all of those initiatives, I really wanna focus our attention in those areas. But I'm, if I'm thinking what will make us successful, it will be seen across this campus as a central player for all of those different areas. Well, we're glad you're here. We welcome you back to the Midwest and your Midwestern roots, and we look forward to uh, joining you on this journey down the road, and I appreciate your time with us this morning, Sherry. Thanks so much, Rick. Our guest this morning on Campus Voices is Sherry Vale, the new Dean of the College of Journalism and Mass Communications here at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Rick Alloway. This has been Campus Voices, and as always, I thank you for your time on this Sunday morning. This has been Campus Voices, issues, news, and notes from the campus of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To comment on this program, call 402-472-3054 or email to krnu at unl.edu. Campus Voices is a public affairs presentation of 90.3 KRNU, Lincoln.